0: I'm just kidding. So uh, that's, that's kind of what's going on there. And then another really neat thing happened this last week, which uh, I thought was really fun. I got a phone call in the office, and I don't always answer the phone, but I happen to answer the phone for whatever reason. I think it was lunchtime, and Brad and I were chatting. And so I, I picked up the phone, and, uh, and a lady called, and she said, hey, listen, um, I've got a truck over at the Scales, and uh, we've got eggs. We've got a bunch of eggs. We're overweight, and we need to give away these eggs. We got to give them away. So do you know of a, a food shelter or Something like that. So I start spinning, you know, my wheels in my head thinking, would be nice if maybe we could do something with it. I said, well, how many eggs do you have? And she said, I have 900 dozen. <laughs> to which I went, <laughs> did the math real quick. And I thought, that's close to 11,000 eggs. And so I thought, man, if we went and got these eggs, there's no way we're getting rid of 11,000 eggs. I can't get rid of 11. So I, I said, you know, let me think about it, and, uh, and I'll get back to you. And I gave her a number of a couple different local places here that, that do food stuff. And I sent the, the only guy I could think of in my mind that I was like, you know, if there's a guy who could somehow figure this out, I don't know why, uh, well, I do kind of know why. I thought if there's a guy who'd kind of figure this out and just go crazy and do something weird, it'd be Ben Lin. And this is Ben over here. The, he's got that beard, which tells you he could handle 11,000 eggs for some reason, right? And so, um, so I, I texted Ben and I said, hey, man, do you, do you want 900 dozen eggs? And I wanted to just put it in the text kind of funny, you know, like, and he wrote back, and he goes, that's a typo. You mean like nine dozen eggs? I said, surely not. It is not a typo. We have 11,000 eggs that you can have. And he goes, give me the number. I want the eggs. And I thought, OK, I have no idea what he's going to do with these eggs. What is, he gonna, what is one dude going to do with 11,000 eggs? And so I asked the lady, you know, when I was on the phone with her, I said, well, which I think is kind of funny. I said, What's the, what is the name of your uh, trunky company? And she said, Un- Eggs Unlimited, <laughs> which I thought, "Yep, yeah, that sounds about right. So... Long story short, uh, I wasn't in the office, but the number for the lady was in the office. I said, call the office, Brad. Uh, tell Brad that there's an envelope sitting on the counter and it, it's got the name on it and stuff. And so he calls and he and Brad start just, they just, on a whim, they're like, you know what? With the two of our trucks, we can get these 11,000 eggs. So they, they got together, they cruised down there and put 11,000 eggs in their trucks, put it out on social media, put it on Facebook, put it on the Tahoe Truckee page Sierra so Bible Church has given away free eggs, and we gave away almost 11,000 eggs in less than two hours, which is pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, if you need any eggs, I do have some. <laughs> uh, surely, I don't think we'll eat them all. So. Um, but uh, so God's good, and he's, you know, it's just those kind of things, little things like that where God makes connections, and we were able to bless a bunch of families next door in the apartments, and a bunch of people that we didn't know showed up. Brad said he lost count, he couldn't count how many different people were coming because of just too many people, uh, so it was pretty neat. Um, so, with that idea of being able to just bless people and 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 reach out, and uh, we're going to be in an important, I think, text this morning in Exodus chapter 18. So, if you would turn to Exodus chapter 18, basically, I'm going to cover 18 uh, and then part of 19, and then we'll jump in to chapter 20 next week. But there's kind of this this uh, twist in the story of Exodus. So far, we've seen just some very extravagant, very crazy. Uh, encounters between all the way back between Moses, uh, who's saved, he's a Hebrew and he's saved. Uh, he, he's not murdered as a young Hebrew child, instead, he's placed in the Nile. He's found by Pharaoh's house, he's raised as an Egyptian. He later, through some gnarly circumstances, runs away from Egypt. God calls him through this burning bush that's not being consumed to lead his people out of Egypt and out of slavery. Uh, To which Pharaoh says, Absolutely not. This is part of my economy. You're not going to shut the economy down. And so uh, God sends all of these different plagues to let Pharaoh know that God is God. Uh, And then and then they cross the Red Sea and the sea closes upon uh, the Egyptians, and then they get outside of that area, and then they end up on the other side of the sea. They end up in a battle with the Amalekites where there's some racial and ethnic tension there. And we talked about last week how that battle is kind of. Uh, metaphorical for us that we we still fight battles today, and they're spiritual battles. And the entire book of Exodus is, is kind of, uh, I, I'm oversimplifying, but it's really about two major things. Uh, one, it's about uh, being freed from sin and freed from the slavery of sin. That's number one. There's this freedom and exodus from bondage. And for us, that speaks of, for us, an exodus of uh, a bondage from sin and an identity that's rooted in evil rather than Good. Uh, and then the other part of it is God is introducing Himself to not just the Hebrews, but the entire world. Uh, if, if you remember up to this point, right, God, the, the name of God, Yahweh, the I am that I am, sent, sent me to you. That's what Moses is told to state. Yahweh, He is being sent to Pharaoh, that He's now being introduced to the Hebrews again, that God is the God of Hebrew salvation but that God is also the God of salvation for the entire world. And so Exodus isn't just about getting relief from uh, our sin, but it's also getting to know the Lord. And there's these places in Exodus over and over again where it says that you will know, that you will know, that you will know, that you will know that I am the Lord. And when he's making that statement, he's making that statement uh, pretty pointedly towards the Egyptians, letting the Egyptians know, all of the gods that you worship, the god of Ra and, the, and all these other different gods that you bow down to, they're not real gods. They're false gods. And if they are gods of any kind, they're little gods with a little g, and they're satanic. That's, that's again, what we talked about last week, that these false gods that arise within culture, uh, even today, whether it's celebrity worship or political worship or whatever may be, there is an underlying spiritual battle underneath of false gods trying to drag you away from your identity and pull people who don't know God to keep them blinded in the world. There is a system under the system under the system that is trying to pull people away from knowing Yahweh uh, and and specifically knowing who Jesus is. And so we come to this point where instead of all these major occurrences, no major plague, no major battle, no burning bush, a conversation with a father-in-law. This is what chapter 18 is. So the title of the message this morning is Our Mission, Our Leadership, and Our Relationship. Our mission, our leadership, our relationship. Let's tackle our mission first. If you have uh, the ability to this morning, uh, as you know, tradition here, we, we like to honor God's word. We're gonna read from chapter 18 together. Would you please stand with me uh, if you're able To in in just honor of the fact that God is still speaking to us through his word. Chapter 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, he heard of all that God had done for Moses and Israel and his people and how the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. Moses' two children. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the other was Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down, he kissed him and he asked each other he asked they i'm sorry and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent then moses told his father-in-law all that the lord had done to pharaoh and to the egyptians for israel's sake all of the hardship that had come upon them in the way and that how the lord had delivered them and jethro rejoiced for all the good that the lord had done to israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the egyptians Jethro said, listen carefully now, blessed be the Lord who delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and he has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now here's an important statement here. I now know the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro and Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So Lord, we ask now that you, would remove distraction, laziness from the mind. Lord, uh, any other spiritual battles inside of us that may be waging war, put all of those things to the side that we may focus and be attentive to you, that we may worship you in the teaching and preaching of your holy word. Would you have an impact upon us? Would you made yourself, make yourself known to us this morning in a powerful way we pray in the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So here's this twist. There's so first of all, you have to see the amazingness of it. Jethro was actually not a Hebrews, not, not a God-fearing man. He probably worshipped many gods. We can see this in the statement that after Moses shared what he shared, he, he realized, as I, I made an emphasis of it when, when uh, we were reading, now I know the Lord is greater than all the other gods. He comes to a revelation through the story that Moses shared. He comes to this revelation of salvation. And he, he turns his life away from wherever he's at, and he now finds himself inside the tent of Moses. And later, he's making a sacrifice to the one and only God. He's making a declaration that salvation is through God and God alone, that he is the God of God. So here's, here's my first kind of point with why this is super, super important. Moses brings Jethro to a salvation because Moses shares his story with Jethro, his father-in-law. This is really important for us to understand. This is important for us to embrace the idea that that we need as Christians to share our story and how God has impacted us that others would come to the Lord. Here's kind of, I'm going to rant just here for a little bit, but I think it's really important for us to understand and root ourselves in the identity of what God has made us. So a little bit of the message this morning, when I think of, when I say our mission and our leadership and our relationship these are issues, these, these, are, these are words that I've chosen to help us understand that we have an identity in God. When we understand that identity in God, it changes the way we live. In fact, in fact, many of you have grown up your entire lives, some of us still, being markedly just, just uh, confused with really who we are because of something someone said to us 20 years ago or someone that someone did to you 20 years ago. And we grow up sometimes with these things that other our parents said or our grandparents said, and we root those into our own identity. And the sad thing is that a lot of those things may not be true, but you project them and then people treat you that way because you're projecting that truth. And so if, if you think, yeah, I'm a depressed guy and you live like you're depressed, people are gonna treat you like you're depressed and it's only going to exacerbate the depression. That's why I actually say for the best thing for introverts to do is to at times pretend they're extroverts so that they can grow relationships that they need, which I have to practice. I'm an introvert, and I have to pretend I'm extroverted. That's why some of you think I'm extroverted. I'm just doing it so I don't end up in a pit of despair, so I can have relationships. Because I, I, I got no problem for a long period of time staying at home. Anybody else that way? Yeah, some of you are there on the camera right now. You're at home. All right? So I understand it. However, when we, when we get our identity, and we understand who we are, and our identity comes from God, It increases our joy. It increases our our life, that it's more worth living. It increases our energy. It helps in every single aspect of our lives. Now, why do I say all this? Because because God has always been on a mission. So our identity is attached to the person of God. So what the the Latins used to say, that that God, uh, he had a mission called Missio Dei. Some of you maybe are familiar with that term, maybe you're not. It was a Latin term basically to just state that God is a missionary God, that God was the first missionary ever and that he in his nature is a sending God. Are are you with me? I'm using terminology that is missionary terminology. So who's the first one to go, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and and I'm gonna leave my comfortable home, I'm gonna leave everything that I know and I'm going to enter into a culture, into a people group that is not like me and I'm gonna save them. That's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was sent by God from the heavenly realm into the incarnational God who lived amongst us. He's the perfect missionary, right? That's part of God's identity. That's why we see here in the mission of even reaching Jethro that God sent Moses. Again, I want you to understand all of this here, this idea of being sent and the identity of being sent. So he sends Moses so that Moses can bring this idea of the message of God, that people would know God to as many people in the world as humanly possible. And and then likewise, Jesus comes on the scene. He's the first missionary, the one who had the most success. That's why we're all still here today. And he entered into a culture of sin and destruction and depression and sickness and pandemic. I mean, there was a huge pandemic in Jesus' day. Does anyone know what it was? Leprosy. And the way they handled it in that day was, if you had leprosy, you were socially distanced from everybody else in the city. You were not to be seen. There was a whole village, a whole town full of people who had the disease. That's what it was dealt with. That's how it was dealt with. And Jesus interacted and touched and loved those filled with leprosy as a missionary. So when you think about your identity, do you see yourself like Moses in that? Do you see yourself like Jesus in that? you are sent. You're a missionary. You, are you with me? You are a missionary, because Jesus said it like this, right? His first one, As God sent me, now I... Okay, I'm glad you read it. You read it. You know it. Some of you know it. As, as God sent me, I now send you, which means that you have to be uh, an individual that understands that you have You have a commandment by God to share your story and how God saved you with people who don't know God. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you remember the first time that the gospel, that is to say the first time that the message of Jesus, that he loves you, he wants to forgive you, he wants to have a relationship with you, all of those different things, when was the first time you heard that story and it clicked? And you went, yeah, I want to be a Christian. Does anybody remember that story? For you? Yeah. I, sure hope so. no. I hope so, too. <laughs> I remember, man, I was 12 years old. My mom, my mom became a Christian. Everything changed, man. Like, everything changed. And I wanted this relationship with Jesus. You know what's interesting, though? Because, because Exodus not only... Here's the third part of Exodus. I told you I oversimplified. Not only is it about getting out of sin, not only is it about knowing God, it's also about growing in God. The wilderness experience is the life experience in all of which we live. Moses uh, literally says, he names one of his kids. If you notice when he named his kids, he names one of them, I was a sojourner. You know what he's saying? I was an alien. He named named his kid basically uh, after himself in the sense that I don't really belong here. So the wilderness experiences we don't belong in this world uh, we're just walking through we're aliens we're sojourners we're we're missionaries we're passing through our nationality I know we celebrated the great independence yesterday which is awesome but your nationality as a Christian is no longer the nationalhood of the United States of America it's the nation of Jesus Christ you're part of a new people where male and female and black and white are all seen as equal we're all sinners we're all in need of salvation It's the best nation you could ever be a part of. And we're called, as Christians now, back to the missionary language in the New Testament, as ambassadors of Christ. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador represents all of that which the nation represents to another nation. If we send an ambassador to China, that ambassador represents all that is about America. And as Christians, we're ambassadors to our country, our world, our nation, our little town of Truckee, California, we're ambassadors to show that we represent a greater nation that is the nation of salvation. Are you with me? So, so we have to understand here as, as a couple different things. One is, as a pastor, one of the things that I'm supposed to be doing to teach the Bible well is, is, is a step uh, called exegesis. Is anybody familiar with that term? Okay, this is stuff I teach to interns all the time, so I can rant really smoothly and, and just fill your ears and talk too fast and forgive me if I do that. But exegesis basically in, 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 in like layman's terms is the ability to, to use original Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic, whatever part the Bible was written in, Old Testament is, is Hebrew, New Testament is Greek, and go, okay, in that Greek word, and that Hebrew word, what is the original intent and the original language, the original people, the original purpose, what did it mean when Paul wrote it to that particular people group? What did that mean then? You with me? That's exegesis. It's to bring out the original. It literally means to bring to light, to bring out the original meaning. When you do that, when you do that, you can finally get to another big million-dollar word, your hermeneutics, which is to say, how does how do I interpret this scripture for you and I today so that we can apply it correctly? You know why this is super important? Because if you don't do your exegesis, your hermeneutics are all jacked up, and then you, you misapply scripture. You don't apply it correctly. And then you're out of context. You're, you're using it wrong. Like the time when I was a kid, and I was asking God if I was going to get back to my, with my girlfriend at the time who broke up with me, and so I started reading Proverbs, and in Proverbs it kept telling me how this woman was going to come back to me. And if you know Proverbs, who's the woman? Wisdom. Wisdom. It wasn't my girlfriend. That's poor ex-Jesus. What you don't want to do, what you don't want to do is what's called iso-Jesus, which is to say that instead of going back to the original language with the original context and the original culture that it existed, this is super important stuff, so if I bore you, you need to not be bored. Okay, that's all you in the original context, when you finally get that, if, if you do eisegesis, it's instead of looking at the original culture, you interpret Scripture through the lens of the current culture. So you say, you, it, this has all kinds of implications. If I look at my culture today and go, okay, the, the culture tells me I have to live a particular way and that certain things are acceptable, and you take that lens and you put it over the Bible, and you read the Bible, all of a sudden, you end up with, a wrong wrong way of having family, a wrong way of looking at marriage, a wrong way of looking at identity, a wrong way of looking at sin, a wrong way of looking at sexuality, and then all of a sudden there's no more rules. There's no more Bible. There's no more God. There's no more holiness. There's no more honor. There's no more need for forgiveness of sin. So here's why I say this. I say this because hopefully I'm doing a good job of that, and hopefully you would do that, but secondly, pastors over the years, in the idea of the missio Dei, that is to say the idea of being a missionary, one of the things the church has to do is not just exegete the Bible, but exegete the culture. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is when Jesus came into the world, and when Moses is rubbing shoulders with Jethro, he's... He, when Jesus came to the world, he said, I'm a friend of sinners. When Jesus entered into the world, he wrapped himself... I'm going to use some of the language of the day. Right? I've been wrestling with... Uh, I'll just be honest. Okay? Can I be honest with you? Probably not. It's going to end up on Facebook and someone's going to say they hate me. But I, I don't like wearing a mask. I'm a, I have a hard time with it for a lot of different reasons. However... In the Missio day, in the mission of God, I've chosen for myself personally to wear a mask in public when I need to, to build bridges in our community. And Paul says, I become all things to all people that I might win some. So the last thing I want to do is not be able to, to, to share the saving grace of Jesus Christ because people see me as a jerk for not wearing a mask. So okay, I'll wear one. I'll wear one. I'll wear one for you to build a bridge and, and likewise, Jesus just to make the connection, right? I won't wear a mask. Could you imagine if God was in heaven and he said to himself, there's no way I'm going to f- put a flesh suit on and enter into humanity because that's not what I do. No, he, he said that he humbled himself by becoming a human being, even though he was 100% God. He wrapped himself in the, the, the flesh suit so that he would win you into the kingdom of heaven. So for me, I'm, I'm okay with going, okay, I'm, I know this might be a far reach. Some of you might be like, well, that's a little crazy. That's okay, that's okay. This is just me personally. And make the connection where you are. But the point that I'm trying to share for you is that the, the ability to take uh, some of your, your, your things that you like, put them on the back burner so you can reach the Jethro in your life. So you can reach someone for Jesus. Here, here's another way to say it. My friends, the church cannot afford the church cannot afford America can't afford by way of the glory of God for Christians to not be friends with non-Christians you have got to know Christians you and you've got to know why they think the way they think now not everybody can do what I'm going to share with you that I personally do to exegete culture there's a there's a couple different things I do to exegete culture number one I get on social media and I see what all the stupid things you're posting that lets me know some of the things you're thinking. Um, number two, number two, I listen to certain comedians that not everyone can listen to because comedians have a real pulse on the culture, especially this day and age. The, the you know the whole cancel culture thing. Comedians are talking a lot about that. The third thing I do, I listen to a, a secular radio program every morning. Not for very long, but every morning, and it, all it's doing is it's giving me the ability to see why people in our culture think the way they think. And then, because I'm doing my exegesis, this is what's important, because I'm reading my Bible, the opinions of the comedians, the opinions of the radio show, the opinions of social media don't sway me to think the way that they think. Why? Because I'm filtering it through correct exegesis. Are you with me? Now, if you're not doing your exegesis, if you don't know your Bible, and you start listening to comedians, you're going to start thinking like the comedians, So my friends, don't go out and start exegeting culture if you haven't exegeted the Bible. Don't go out and say, well, what's culture think? Because you'll be influenced by culture. We serve the God of truth, and the truth is in the Bible. It's in here still. It's still there. And so we have to be committed to continually opening it up. Uh, One author says it like this. And, and, And let me just pause after the first line. i got a whole paragraph here. But this is what it says. Jesus did not live a life of detachment. Now, <clears throat> exegeting culture. One of the things that I'm doing right now to exegete culture is I'm, I'm looking and talking with real estate agents about what's happening in our own area with real estate. You've heard me talk about this. Uh, I mentioned it last week. There's going to be, my friends, a mass exodus of people out of California. Yeah? I hate California. And they're going. They're going to go to Idaho. Some are going to Arizona, Colorado, Montana, Oregon, and several people in our church. They're they're man. They're packing up. They're ready to go, and I get it. But here's the deal: we can't live a life full of detachment. So so I've heard people say, "Let's and, and hey, I get it. It's, it's understandable. Let's all just let's just all go move to Montana. We'll start a Sierra Bible Church Montana ranch, and we'll just live there. And we won't you know we'll start our own little government. <laughs> Andrew want to come? We need a police officer. We good. But, you know, we just, I'll be president, I guess. Why not? (laughs) Yeah, no. I don't want to be president. I dictate more meat. That's what I would do. So, (laughs) So all that to be said, you can't all leave. What happens if all the Christians leave California? Some might argue that a lot of them have already left. In fact, someone was encouraging me yesterday. I don't know him all that well, but he was encouraging me to be more political. I need to be more political. He doesn't even really know me all that much. And, and for the most part, I've tried to just stay away from political stuff because I want to be an expert in God's Word. I don't necessarily want to be an expert in all this political stuff. I'm not, I, it's too much of a headache. I want to just preach God's truth. I want to see people come to Jesus by serving people and, and, and change society from the ground up. You've got to be more political, he says. I told him, actually, no, the church needs, needs to understand its identity. And one of the reasons, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I shared this with him yesterday, I'm going to be honest with you, and I know I might catch flack about it from some individuals, you do know why churches were, were lumped into movie theaters and concerts as far as not meeting together? And Gavin Newsom basically has said that the churches, churches are no different than a movie, and they're no different than a concert. And so we're not going to open up fully until concerts... He sees the church as a a basis of entertainment. Now, let me me be fair. Gavin Newsom has no idea what the church is. I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to be Democratic. I'm not trying to be Republican. I've done enough studying to feel very confident. He has no idea what the church really does. Okay, so he's operating someone out of ignorance. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I want to honor him. Pray for him. I really want him to come to Jesus. But one of the main reasons, so I'm not just beating up on on the government, one of the main reasons churches have been lumped into the entertainment industry is because so many pastors and churches have refused to be what the church is supposed to be. The church has stopped preaching sin, stopped preaching God's word, stopped standing for the honoring of God's word stopped even taking communion and some churches and many churches are nothing more than a concert with a really good TED talk. So of course, why would the government say, "Yeah, churches are non-essential." You know what? If that's what church is, it's non-essential. So the sad state is, and this is why this is so important as I continue on here for the next few moments, when we think about being missional, we think about what is right. My friends, today is the day for us to rise. I've, I've said it before, historical moment uh, needs a historical response. And the historical response is to do what the reformers have done over so many different centuries where the church has become alive and awake, and that is to stand on the word of God and to stand on the gospel of grace. That's what we need. We need more of that. And so one of the things that I'm hoping for, as so many people are now socially distanced, watching online, checking other different pastors and churches online, is when you get back into church, whenever it is that we can be 100% back, go to a church, demand that church, or go to a church that teaches the Holy Word of God and the gospel of salvation is by grace alone. Demand it. We can't play games anymore. We, We can't afford it. Forget trying to entertain your people. Give them the message of reconciliation and relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be missional. So again, I had a whole paragraph here. That was just don't live a life of detachment. It goes on. Jesus lived a life of involvement. He lived where he could see human sin, hear human swearing and blasphemy, see human disease, and observe human mortality, poverty, and squalor. His mission was fully incarnational because he taught men by coming alongside them, becoming one of them, sharing their environment and problems, and for us as individuals in churches and churches in an affluent society, this is a great embarrassment. How can we effectively minister to a lost world if we're not in it? So all that to be said, you've got to be you gotta you gotta know some sinners. And you've gotta be more of an influence in that sinner's life than that sinner is in your life, yeah? Which means you, you need to be, again, rooted in good discipleship, good church community, so on and so forth. Then I love this, okay? So after, after Jethro basically has this saving experience, they go and they, it tells us in, in chapter 18, verse 12, they go and make a sacrifice to God. So this is a big deal. He's, he's now giving himself to the Lord. And then I love this. Chapter 18, right after, says the, the next day, so Jethro got saved yesterday, and then the next day in verse 13, Moses sat to judge all the people. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to just break this down real quickly, he's, Moses is basically the DMV, he, he's, he's the local government, he's the judge, he's the jury, he's sitting down with millions of people every day, It literally tells us, all day from morning to sunset, judging the people, Jethro, his father-in-law, verse 17, says to him, what you're doing is not good, and then he tells Moses, he says, Moses, instead of... Instead of doing this, you need to delegate leadership to men who are trustworthy, who won't take a bribe, and you're going to have different quality men. Some can oversee 1,000, some can see, oversee 100, and some 50, and some 10. Do that, Moses. Here's why I love this. I love it when someone becomes a Christian, and then the next day they start sharing with you all the things they see that are wrong inside the church. I do. Because they come in with this, these fresh eyes. This is saving grace. Why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing it that way? That doesn't make any sense. And they start to have an influence, a change inside of the church. If you are a new Christian, you have a chance right away to start shaping and molding the church to be more gospel-centered. I love it. And so Jethro does it, and Moses says, you know what? Yeah, I I need to do this. And so what happens is we have a model in the Old Testament that is that, that the people of God should not be led by just one man. Moses, you're not sufficient. Jethro tells him, you're going to wear yourself out. And so he ends up with these men that are basically elders. They're elders, and he, he delegates to these men, and these men do the work of the ministry for Moses. Now stick with me here for a moment as I just explain a couple different things. First of all, I want you to see, again, this, this is all going to be rooted in identity, who you are, and tying in with our mission and all that. Look at the results of shared delegation. First of all, the burden is shared. Verse 23, chapter of 18, look at what it says there. If you do this, God will direct you. What he's saying is if you delegate leadership, the church, not only Moses' people, but also the church will be more theocentric. That's to say, to be more God-centered. And when you're more God-centered, God will provide for you in miraculous ways. Thus, a couple things. We've got great leadership here, and I'm gonna talk about that here more in a moment. A lot of House Here Bible Church has been blessed, isn't because our men are all that great because they are. They are, but it isn't because they're all that great. It's because we strive to be theocentric and God just honors it. So we were projecting in, in leadership that, that that during this season we were going to be down thirty to fifty percent of income for our church. That was a projection that was mentioned. Right now we're we're well over budget. We pray that continues. We don't know. But God's been faithful to put on your hearts to continue to give online and to give to the church, and so our income is, is well, and we're starting to make changes so we can bless the community more and save for rainy day if we need it, more tragedy if it comes, because who knows what the future holds. Another way of tying that in is the story of the eggs. I, that's not... Brad doesn't get credit for that. Ben doesn't get I don't get credit. Eggs don't get credit for that. God gets the credit for that. That's cool, so we have to put the focus there. So he gives us this, I want you to see this is important because a little bit of what I've talked about here, if you remember, is our mission, that was point one, our leadership, our relationship. Everything about Exodus is about our relationship with God, but our leadership, tying in with our mission. When I made mention earlier, you need to demand of your churches that they preach the Bible and share the gospel of grace, you likewise need to ensure that the church that you are a part of has good, healthy leadership in it and that it is done correctly. So in Moses' day, the same delegation happens as it then happens later in the the New Testament church. So the New Testament church, Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor, how to structure his church. And he says, you've got to put elders in place. So we have a group of elders that help lead our church. And he says all kinds of things about these elders. They've got to be respectable, self-controlled, not a lover of money. In Exodus, he said the same thing. They, They can't. They can't take a bribe. They can't be, they can't be duped with money, which, makes, which is a good point. I didn't mention this earlier. If you get an email from me asking for gift cards, it's not me. So this is like a thing. Someone's going around stealing my email and my contacts. It's not even my email, actually. It's a fake email, and they're asking for money. So if you want to send me money, there's a better way to do it. Um, you just hand it to me. Uh, or you give it to the church. Just put it in the box, okay? Okay. So the leader can't be a lover of money. They can't want to take a bribe. They've got to be gentle, not quarrelsome, all of these different things. Now listen carefully about what it then says about all Okay, There's this huge list that Paul gives Timothy. If you're going to have good leaders and things are going to be delegated, it can't be just all about the senior pastor. It's got to be spread out amongst good leaders. Then in verse 7 it says, Moreover, about these leaders, about these elders, they must be well thought of by outsiders. Okay, You can't be your little hold-up biblical Christian and everybody in the community outside doesn't like you. You're not qualified to be an elder if the community doesn't think well of you. That doesn't mean they agree with everything that you say, but they know that you're an honorable man, and they know that you have good character. Are you with me? So even good leadership, Paul has this little nugget in here for us that good leadership in the church is still about reaching people who don't know Jesus and being well thought of by those in the community. Now, let me extend this even further because some of you are like, okay, I'm not Pastor Jesse, and I'm not an elder, and I'm not a deacon. What about me? Well, I'm glad you asked because in chapter 19, they're going to the base of the mountain of God to receive the law of God. And look at what God says in chapter 19, verse 6. Preparing them to receive the law of God to be transferred over into this deeper relationship with him, more growth, more sanctification. And you, speaking to all of the people, shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Did you see it? You can't say, you can't do this. You can't go, well, you know what? The job of the church is about Jesse and the elders and the deacons, and they do it. No, 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 no. We are to guide you and direct you. The way it says in the New Testament is that the job of a good elder, the job of a, a, a good pastor or shepherd is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Because in your identity, I'm not a loser, I'm not a bum, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a priest. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and went, I'm a priest? Some of you think that's dumb or dorky. I did for a long time when I was a kid. I, didn't, I did not want to be a pastor. Because nobody thinks it's cool to be a pastor, except another pastor. But it's not one of those things people look at usually and go, man, I want to be that guy. Can I do counseling? Can I do memorials? Can I do funerals? Can I, can I do budget meetings? Can I? All of these different things that a pastor has to do that's a full plate of stuff. But here's the deal. The Bible doesn't just call the pastor the priest. The Bible calls the people of God priests. When was the last time you really wrapped your identity around that? Let me, let me put it another biblical way from 1 Peter chapter 2. You yourselves are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So guess what? Everything the church is supposed to be about. The supporting of the church, the ministry of the church, helping the needy, sharing the gospel, discipling people, being part of Bible studies, teaching Bible studies, leading Bible studies, praying with people. All of those different things you can think of that are ministry-oriented, you are obligated to do them when you become a part of the family of God because your identity is not spectator, it's priest. Isn't that good news? Some of you are like, I don't know if I like that. Because my seat is really comfortable. This is a time for us to get together and to connect with God and grow in our discipleship so that when we leave here, we do the work of the ministry effectively, so effectively that underneath all that culture, we share the gospel, we share the love of Jesus, and by washing feet, we change culture. By washing feet, by getting eggs, and telling people, come to the church parking lot, we're going to give you free eggs. So I started, here, here. Just I didn't share this in the first service, but I'll share it now. In my mind now, I've been running through, how can we get 10,000 more of something else? and just give it away now if you're a rancher and you're listening to the message this morning I will take 10,000 pounds of your meat and I'll give it away that's one thing to give away eggs, it's a whole other thing to give away bacon in my opinion I know some of you are vegetarians but wouldn't that be cool to give away 10,000 things of bacon yeah to the glory of God to the glory of God, here's your, your, here's your bacon. And, 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 and I'm saying those kind of things because that's the kind of stuff where we meet people's needs and we build relationships. The church is supposed to be the arena in which we share the love of God by reaching out to people who aren't like us. What I love is that Brad went next door and knocked on all the doors that he could next door to let them know in the Hispanic community over here that, that exists here, come, we have eggs for you. You know, Love people, share the gospel with people. You're a priest. And at the base of this mountain, we're going to see at the end of chapter 19 and the chapter 20, God's going to give them the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments don't come before grace. Grace always comes first. God frees his people, and he says, you have a new identity. You have a new relationship. You have a new mission. And now at the base of this mountain, I'm going to tell you what it looks like to have that identity in God and how you should live your life and how you should look differently than the rest of the culture. And then he lays out the statutes. He lays out the laws and he says, live this way so that people will know that you were separate and you were different and you were beautiful and you were loved, that others may know the same truth about them. So as you leave, I pray you're encouraged not only, as we talked about last week, to fight the battle, but that you're encouraged to be on mission with God on his mission, the Missio day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're good to us. We thank you that, Lord, we're continuing to learn from you, and you're just so good to us no matter what. Even in the midst of trial, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of hardship, you're still there, and we just, we just want to say thank you, Lord. You're worthy of our worship, and, and Lord, you're worthy of our attention. I pray as we leave, we're encouraged. I pray, Lord, that we feel strengthened. I pray we leave with a little bit more conviction as well that we must as churches be healthy in our leadership, healthy in our mission, so that we can be healthy in our relationship with you. We know we can't do it alone, so we trust you to walk with us in it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey friends, will you stand with us and these next two songs talk about the battle. Um, as we leave